Hey, good day to you. It's back on a Tuesday, and it's falking around. Yeah, we're back on Tuesdays where we had hoped to be. Our schedule now evening out. We didn't take a bye week. We we continued through, but now we got our schedule back where we want it. We're going to talk about the Bills coming out of the bye week. We're going to talk NFL Week 7, Syracuse basketball on the cusp, and more good things to say about the Sabres, amazingly. I didn't think that would be on the agenda a week into the season, but certainly deserved. Let's talk about the Bills. They get through the bye week, and now at 4-2, and two, they've got the rest of the season. 11 more games now, not 10. 11 more games till they get to the playoffs, and I know that sounds like a sure thing, and I, I really think it is a sure thing with this team. Some interesting things that I looked at about the bye week and about Sean McDermott. The best... Coming out of the bye week has always been Andy Reid. He's the gold standard of how to handle a team coming out of the bye week. Well, of course, McDermott was Andy Reid's defensive coordinator for years in Philly. So I was thinking about that and thinking, you know, did he look at what Andy Reid did coming out of the bye week and and pattern it after, pattern what his approach is to what Andy Reid did? And I, I think he has, and the success certainly has been there. Sean McDermott has never lost a game after the bye week, 4-0. And, and if you remember, the first couple of years, those weren't exactly strong Bills teams. But he still got wins coming out of the bye week. So that's a good thing. I, I found this interesting. With the loss last week to Tennessee, the Bills are now 2-3 and three under McDermott going into the bye week. So, you know, maybe something to work on there. But certainly the 4-0 mark after the bye week shows that Sean McDermott has a plan that seems to work. And I would expect it to be 5-0 and after this week. The Bills play the Dolphins. They're 13.5-point favorites this week at home against Miami. Miami is floundering. They're 1-6. They lost last week to Atlanta. I'll talk a little bit more about that game as we go around the league. But a team that many, me included, thought was going to be the challenger in the AFC East for the Bills, if there was one, their season's done. There's questions about Tua. There's there's questions about whether or not they're going to bring in Deshaun Watson. There's a lot of things going on there. And, And the one thing that's not going on is the team playing to its capabilities under Brian Flores, a coach who last year I thought was the guy in Miami and was going to turn things around. But this year, it has spiraled the other way. And and you can't look at injuries. Yeah, Tua was hurt, missed a couple games. But you can't look at widespread injuries as the reason. There are some teams around the league that you can point to that and say, yes, but Miami's not in that case. It's just... They haven't gotten it done. They've had a tough schedule, but you lose to Atlanta over in Europe. You can't do those things. You you certainly can't let that happen. I'm sorry, not Atlanta. They lost to Jacksonville over in Europe. So uh, a lot of things that have gone on haven't gone well. So the Bills come out of the bye week with the Dolphins as game one. And then it's traveling to Jacksonville, the aforementioned Jags. Then it's traveling to New York to play the Jets, who's they're they're now looking at having Joe Flacco under center possibly when the Bills go there. Then it's Indy at home. 
The next four opponents, if the Bills go through those four, they're then eight and two and in great shape to possibly get home field throughout because the AFC has been really good, unfortunately, or fortunately, however you look at it. The AFC East has been horrible except for the Bills, and the Patriots have shown a few moments of life. So the Bills, I think, are in a great position. Again, those next four opponents, 6-20 and 20 cumulative record. It's not good. They should go 4-0 over the next four should get to eight and two. And if you're eight and two with seven games left, you're looking at hosting at least a first round playoff, if not getting a bye and home field advantage throughout. And if we've talked about it many times, if the Bills are able to get home field advantage throughout the AFC playoffs, It is a huge advantage because of the weather. And remember, we're a week later this year. Playoffs don't start till almost mid-January. Mid-January in Buffalo isn't exactly a place many people want to play outside. So really interesting stuff. Through the first six games and through the bye, you know, it's time to do some self-scouting, some reflection. What have we done well? What have we not done well? Looked at some numbers this morning. Josh Almost 65% passing. That's right where I hoped he would be. Again, last year, the 70%. I didn't think he's a 70% guy. I was hoping 65 to 68, somewhere in there, be perfect. He struggled the first couple, but of course, has rebounded since then. You'd always like to see, in this day and age, close to 300 yards per game. Well, six games, 1,800 yards. Josh is throwing for 1,723 yards. So he's close there. And remember, a couple blowouts didn't have to throw it later in the game. 15 to t- touchdowns to three interceptions. Those are good numbers there. A 103.6 quarterback rating. I think anybody who still had questions about Josh Allen being a top 10 quarterback and possibly a top five in some people's eyes. And I'm right around five right now if I was to rank the quarterbacks. Those questions are out the window. Josh Allen has become that guy now. We've seen enough. This is year two of the really good Josh, and it's there. Again, look at this schedule. I expect those numbers to improve over the next four games to even more cement Allen's numbers. I wanted to get 1,200 yards rushing between Devin Singletary and Zach Moss. I thought that with a 17-game schedule was a realistic goal, something that showed that Brian Dable was committed to the run. So far, Singletary has 311, one touchdown. Zach Moss, 208 yards. The combination of the two, you put them on a pace for 17 games, you're at like 1,470 yards. So while I was surprised at that, I think there's more work to be done in the running game, and I will get to that. But right now, Singletary and Moss, I think, doing okay. Just need to do more at times. Finishing games, short yardage, big plays, You've got to be able to get a yard on third down, and and I don't want it from your quarterback, and that doesn't have to do with anything that happened on that Monday night. I still am okay with the quarterback sneak call in that situation. I just want more consistent short yardage running from that pair. Stephon Diggs, 37 catches, 463 yards. 
Emmanuel Sanders, 24 catches, 413 yards. Cole Beasley, 33 for 303. You look at those numbers of your wide receivers, and they are very balanced. They're they're right where you want them to be. And, and, and it's funny because the yards per catch are, are much in proportion to where you'd expect them to be. Cole Beasley, much less. You've got Diggs in the middle because he can get you deep or he can get you short. He's the all-around receiver. And Sanders, the more of the deep threat. So interesting looking at those numbers. And the one number, I guess, that jumped out at me when looking at them was was the Dawson Knox revelation. The five touchdowns, 286 yards through the first five, six games of the league, of the year. You know, that that's looking at an 800-yard season for Dawson Knox, and I, I wouldn't have expected that. Now, obviously, the injury could impact that. We'll see how long he is out for and how much of an effect that has. Defensively, looking at numbers, and, you know, it's interesting because the Bills are, are first in points scored and first in points allowed, as in the fewest points allowed. And, and those are really good numbers. And defensively, the yardage ranks are in the top 10 as well. But the pass rush has been very underwhelming, in my opinion. There have been moments that it's been really good. But when you look at the numbers, it kind of backs up what I'm seeing when I'm watching games. Gregory Rousseau has three sacks. That leads the team. Star Latulale has two sacks. Nobody else has more than one. Think about that. You've played six games Jerry Hughes, A.J. Appenenza, Mario Addison, none of them have more than one sack in the first six games of the year. Got to be better. You know, and part of it is, well, all right, maybe they're not getting sacks, but they're, they're hitting the quarterback, right? No. Milano and Rousseau each have three quarterback hits. That leads the team. you got to do better. There's got to be more production and more pressure put on by that defensive line. It's been okay, and in spots it's been pretty good. But consistently, and if this team's going to win a Super Bowl, that defensive line, those eight guys that make up that four-man front, because it's a rotation, they've got to get more consistent pressure, they've got to hit the quarterback more, and have to continue doing things that way. Jermaine Edmonds leads the team in 40 with 40 tackles, and I think it's important to point out that Edmonds is playing, by far, in my opinion, the best football he's played of his young career. He is in the fourth year of his, of his, season, of his career in this season. He looks more sure. He looks more aggressive. I always thought he was hesitant when I watched him play. You're not seeing that now. You're seeing a much more confident Tremaine Edmonds. Still, I think, better in the pass game than he is in the run game. But he's getting better in the run game as well. Getting better mentally to diagnose things quicker to make more impactful plays. So that is a good thing. One other statistic that I wanted to throw out there. Anyone who has ever listened to me, whether it be on this podcast or radio or wherever, you know I hate kickers. But i got to give... One-eyed black Tyler Bass, the credit he deserves so far. 14 to 15 in field goals, 21 to 21 extra points. The field goal he missed was over 50 yards. So, you know, it is what it is. That's really good. And that's really important, again, 
all the little things going forward get even more important. So now, if you're Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean and the entire coaching staff, you're going to self-scout. You're going to look at this first half and, and, okay, what are we doing well? What are we doing poorly? What do we need to improve on? few things I, I came up with. And, and the power running game. And this is where, when it's third and one, I don't need Josh Allen to pick it up. I, 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 I like Josh Allen's ability to run the football, and he needs to continue to run the football. This year so far, he has 214 yards and two touchdowns on the ground, which is fine. I can take that. I want 500 yards on the ground from Josh Allen. However, on third and one, third and two, I need to be able to hand it off to a back and pick that up. And look, it's not about just Devin Singletary and Zach Moss. It's not about figuring out who's the better candidate and who gives you the better chance of picking up the first down. It's the guys up front, John Feliciano, it's Daryl Williams now, who's the right guard, and Mitch Morse. And, and I think power run games come from the middle of your offensive line. And this is a deficiency, in my opinion, of the Bills right now. Yes, Spencer Brown, right tackle's rookie, and he's struggled at times, and he's going to struggle at times because he is a rookie. Daryl Williams is probably a safer bet at right tackle, but... You need a right guard. Cody Ford's failure to take that position, like Boker's failure to take, those guys aren't good. They're not going to solve this problem. This is something that they've either got to fix through trade now, which I doubt they will. I don't see them going to get a guard, but it's a possibility. Or in the offseason, whether it be drafting somebody up there, and developing somebody to play that guard position. But you need a a more physical presence. You definitely have to get better in between the tackles. Deion Dawkins has been pretty good for most of the year. I know I want to look at that fourth down play and say, yeah, look, he got blown up there. Yeah, he did. However, very consistent for much of the year. Again, Spencer Brown's had some moments where he's been very good at right tackle. He got blown up and missed a play that led to an interception last week. But that's what happens when you have a rookie out there. So I think the Bills line is good. I think it can be much better situationally. And and the situation they need to get better is on short yardage and power football. And that, to me, is the biggest concern of the offensive line. Offensively, the second biggest concern, if you will, is is to finish the drives. That they're they're moving the ball up and down the field. They really do a great job of not punting early in drives. They they get first downs. They move the football, but they're not finishing with touchdowns. And I think here's where self scouting can be a great thing because Brian Dable can look at what am I calling. What's working? What's not? Why isn't it? We're just looking at that in a vacuum for a week and figuring out better play calls, better situations, better formations to allow for better success, using your strengths. I really think that's something that I would expect over the next couple of weeks. We should see an improvement in the red zone with more touchdowns. And I, I frankly think that the opponents that the Bills are playing over the next few weeks will help that as well. But that also helps develop the mentality. you, you got to get a mentality where you finish and how you finish 
And again, go back to power football at times. I want to see more from that aspect of the team. Right now, the Bills lead the NFL in takeaway differential. They are plus 11 in takeaway differentials. That that leads the NFL. And if you want to do a historical look at a statistic that's a true indicator of success, there isn't a more true indicator of success than takeaway turnover differential. It is year in, year out. The teams at the top of the standings are at the top of that statistics. The Bills right now, plus 11, continue on with that. Take care of the football offensively, and and Josh Allen's done a really good job. And and you're seeing the safeties right there, Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde. They've done a great job of intercepting passes. They have, without much of a pass rush, the secondary has become a real strength of this defense, and it's because of those two and, of course, Tredavious White. Tredavious White is getting the Deion Sanders treatment where nobody throws at him anymore. Probably gets a little bored during games on Sundays because everyone's going after Levi Wallace. But when you throw in Taron Johnson as a nickelback and and the development of Taron Johnson and how good he's become, that secondary has been very good, and they need to continue to do that. I've talked about the quarterback pressure. That's something that whether or not – you look at if you're Leslie Frazier and McDermott and you get in the meeting room and you self-scout this week, whether you change up your rotation. Again, A.J. Epinenza did not play against Tennessee last week. He's had moments where he's been great. The Miami game, the first Miami game, this is a Miami game. I think this is a week where you put him back out there and see what he's got. You also have a guy, Vernon Butler, who's spent some time inactive and making a bunch of money this year. I wouldn't be shocked if the Bills do make a move at the trade deadline if Vernon Butler's part of the package going the other way. I don't expect a big trade, but I think Vernon Butler might be somebody who can be on the move. And frankly, you're just paying this guy not to play right now. I know you love depth, and and depth can help you immensely. Everyone's one play away from the IR. But right now, Vernon Butler and his salary – are really generating nothing for the Buffalo Bills, so I wouldn't be adverse to that. Over the next couple of weeks, Dawson Knox is likely going to miss time. I, I know he's most likely not going to play against Miami. He most likely doesn't play the next week either against Jacksonville. Maybe come back for the Jets, but with that broken hand, do you want to rush him back or do you want to be patient with him? And the question now is, Tommy Sweeney, who they like a lot, can he be QB one or can he be tight end one? Can he handle that situation? And Sweeney, former seventh round pick out of BC, there's a lot of, lot to like with this kid. Missed last year because he got COVID and then had myocarditis as part of that COVID thing and missed the entire year. So it's great to have him back healthy. A but right now he and Reggie Gilliam are basically the only tight ends on the Bills roster. That's not a very deep position. And I know the Bills don't go three tight end ever. They, they Go back to the power football talk. They just don't do it. Well, they don't have the bodies to do so. So the question is, A, can Tommy Sweeney handle the Dawson Knox role in the passing game? B, do they bring in a body 
to complement him, or do they go make a trade and try and find an experienced tight end? Somebody, you know, they had a kid, Hollister, who played with Josh at Wyoming, been around the league a little bit, played in Seattle. They had him in camp. Do they try to bring him back as somebody to just give them another body on the roster? How can Tommy Sweeney handle the next few weeks, and what does all of that Entail, and if you're going with just Tommy Sweeney and Gilliam, who's a fullback by by trade, but can play tight end, if they're going to be your guys, is that enough? And frankly, I'm not sure it is because there are times again, and I keep saying power football. There's times you got to line up, and, and I don't miss Lee Smith, but I miss a Lee Smith type blocker at the tight end position for those short yardage situations. Because you need sometimes just to be able to knock guys back and get a yard. And I don't think the Bills' offense right now is set up to do that. So there's ways around it. Obviously, you can quarterback sneak. You can throw short passes. You can use Josh's legs on the outside with rollouts. But I just, I'm a little old school, and I'm sure Sean McDermott would love at times just to be able to knock guys back and get that yard. The trade deadline, as I mentioned, is a week from today. What do the Bills do and where do they go? And, and, you know, anyone who's thinking, well, big deal coming up because, you know, Bean sees an opportunity here. I don't see that. I don't see them going out and getting a cornerback. I think they're happy with the way their secondary is played, and they should be happy with that. I don't see them bringing in anybody to help rush the passer, even though that's a deficiency at this point. But you look at the numbers and the investment in guys like Gregory Rousseau and Boogie Basham and A.J. Appenenza over the last couple of years. Those three guys are two number twos and a number one draft pick over the last two years. So you're not going to go get somebody and stunt their development, in my opinion. Rousseau's become the starter in year two. So it's just needing better production and more production from them. Maybe figure out a way to get exotic. But again, the two spots that I see where there's a possibility, maybe you deal from a position of depth and Vernon Butler would be that guy, in my opinion. Maybe move on from him and bring in something like a tight end to help get Tommy Sweeney through the next couple of weeks or upgrade the guard position. And that's something I think that would be a real interesting move at this point because I'm not sure how long it would take a guard coming in to, to learn the offense, learn the blocking schemes, and all the things that he'd need to do to get up to speed to be a significant improvement for the Bills in the middle of their offensive line. But those are the only two spots that I really see position needing an improvement. And so we'll see what Brandon Bean, and, and you know Brandon Bean, he's going to be aggressive. If there's a play to be made for a guy, He'll be interested in that guy and will try to bring him in. I, I don't expect it, but it wouldn't shock me. The week seven results were interesting. And, you know, this is one of those weeks with six teams on the bye and, and, and marquee teams, you know, good teams, the Vikings, Cowboys, Bills among them. Fantasy football players did not have a good week this week. A lot of people were working on the waiver wire, and you saw guys starting for fantasy teams that are never going to start again. But 
it's the nature of the business. It's the nature of the beast. So the the bye week was was interesting because there wasn't a ton of great games. The Thursday night game last week, Browns and Denver, was about as boring as can be. Teddy Bridgewater against Case Keenum wasn't exactly must-see TV. However, we learned that Dearness Johnson is a pretty viable NFL back. Yeah, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt are out. Dearness Johnson had a great night, 146 yards for the Browns. They get the win there. The Cincinnati-Baltimore game, I think, I don't want to say it was coming out party because the, the Bengals have been really good all year. But it was a statement game to go into Baltimore. And frankly, Cincinnati kicked the crap out of Baltimore. Cincinnati dominated that game. Joe Burrow is a really good young quarterback. Jamar Chase is an absolute beast. These two guys together, and and I remember draft day, how everyone was freaking out over, how do you take Jamar Chase? You got to protect Joe Burrow. And I'm thinking draft day, well, you got Jamar Chase and T. Higgins, and you've got a pretty good skill position player around them with Joe Mixon as a tailback. And and you're like, I don't know, man. There there might be something there. Burrow's pretty good. Yeah, well, Jamar Chase has been spectacular. Burrow's over 400 yards. Remember, this is a Ravens defense that confused the hell out of Justin Herbert and didn't allow him to get going. You see in the numbers for Burrow last week, Three touchdowns, 416 yards. Kid's good. And he's got an attitude. And it's fun to watch the Bengals play football. When's the last time you thought that? You know, this has been a downtrodden franchise for a long, long time. Well, they're not downtrodden anymore. And that AFC North, you look at, I mentioned the Browns. They're a very balanced team. I think they're in trouble playoff-wise because of the depth of that division. But... The Ravens, the Bengals, the Steelers need a quarterback, obviously, but their defense is there. That's going to be a good division for years to come. And top to bottom, might be the best division in football right now. Packers get a win over the Washington football team. And I got to say, I, I don't like bitching about rules and I don't like bitching about calls and things like that because it's part of the game and everyone has to deal with it. But the rule that... A quarterback who is diving gives himself up the same way a quarterback was sliding. There needs to be some judgment. Look, referees use judgment on every call, every play, every situation. Everything they see, they are using judgment with. If a guy dives for a goal line, And Tyler Heineke did that on Sunday against Green Bay. Dove for the goal line. He didn't have to. I don't know why he did, frankly. But he dove for the goal line. Untouched and easily. But his knee touched down before the ball crossed the plane. By rule, he gave himself up. No, he didn't. Like, who would look at that and say, yeah, that's him giving himself up? Who gives himself up an inch from the goal line? Ever. Nobody. Unless you're taking a knee at the end of the game because you don't want to score. Use logic and judgment. Refereeing's all about judgment. And yet, we get to replay and we can't use judgment? This was as 
bad of an application of a rule, and again, maybe it's just a bad rule, and I think it is, but that can't happen. Look, Tyler Heineke screwed up, should not have dove. But how bad was it that the next play, now it's fourth and an inch, he loses the ball, regains it, and reaches over for, again, a touchdown. And I thought that was a touchdown as well. I thought the Redskins, I'm sorry, the Washington football team scored twice, and they didn't. It was just terrible. Oh, yeah, all that said, two more points. Aaron Rodgers is really freaking good. (laughs) And those Packer throwbacks that you're looking at right there, fantastic. Those were excellent. Those are probably the third best throwback I've seen. The best is always going to be the Chargers with the powder blues. But then the old Detroit Lions ones where they had the gray pants and the, the gray helmets Barry Sanders, he always looked great no matter what. Never looked better than he did wearing those old Lions throwbacks. So an interesting game that really wasn't close. But if you watched it, or if you're a Washington fan, I thought they got screwed two times down on the goal line. I mentioned Miami losing to Atlanta. Can't happen. But if you're a Falcon fan, you got to throw this out there. Kyle Pitts, a lot of people coming into the draft talked last year about how good this kid was. Well, you don't take a tight end at four, similar to Jamar Chase. You can't take Jamar Chase at five. No, you got to take a tackle. Uh, Kyle Pitts is a beast, and he is getting better and better and better. 163 yards, seven catches on only eight targets last week as well. Second 100-yard game in a row for this kid. With Calvin Ridley and him, I don't know how much longer Matt Ryan has, but Atlanta's offense, again, carrying this team because their defense certainly isn't, it's fun to watch that kid, Kyle Pitts, play offensive football. He is really, really good. The Pats crushed the Jets, 54-13. The real story here was, the late hit or the low hit or the illegal hit that didn't get a flag on Zach Wilson. Now Wilson's out for a couple games. Terrible development for the Jets. You think about it, they lose Mekhi Becton early in the year. Now they lose Zach Wilson. Look, this Jets team wasn't going to win many games anyway this year, but it was going to be all about development. And now that these guys are hurt, it's just a disaster for New York. And one other thing. For the Jets to go into this year with nothing but young quarterbacks. Look, Zach Wilson, you want to give him all the reps? Fine. I got no problem with that. Get him out there. (coughs) Excuse me. Get him out there and get an opportunity to see what you've got. I'm okay with that. But any young quarterback needs to have some sort of mentor behind him. A veteran presence who can just... Welcome to the NFL. This is how we do it. You don't know how you do it until you've been through it for a year or two. The Bills screwed that up, in my opinion, with Josh Allen early on. And the Jets are making the same mistake here. You've got to do better. So what do they do? They go out and get Joe Flacco. Did anyone know Flacco was in Philly? Did anyone even know that? It's it's so funny. Every now and then you see a quarterback come back and you're like, Wait, Geno Smith's on Seattle? 
Geno Smith's been in Seattle for three years? I didn't know that. Joe Flacco was in Philly. I didn't know that either. Then again, if we're worrying about Joe Flacco, there's probably bigger problems, and that's exactly the case for the Jets. Good news for the Jets, though. They've got a bunch of draft picks coming up in this draft. They're going to be drafting very highly for them. Seattle losing again last night. That helps their other draft pick. They might have two top tens, and theoretically, they don't need a quarterback because they just took Zach Wilson. So they are going to be in great position to manipulate the draft board in any way they see fit, continue to add to that offensive line. Again, with Becton and Vera Tucker, the kid from USC who's actually played really well, Quinn and Williams on the other side of the ball. The lines are have some talent. Keep growing those lines. And one thing to keep an eye on with the Jets, and the perfect fit would be in Dallas. Marcus May, they're really good safety, who they haven't been able to work out a contract extension for yet. There's talk they may move him. If he goes to Dallas and plays safety for the Cowboys, because Cowboys have improved, obviously, with Trayvon Diggs at corner. They don't have very good safeties at all, and you saw that in the long touchdown pass the week before against New England. It's just terrible safety play. Went from an interception, should be interception, to a touchdown pass. You could really make the case that the Cowboys might be the best team in the NFC. Right now, I think Tampa is. But if they were to get Marcus May, that could really upgrade their defense. So keep an eye on the Jets as we approach the trade deadline. New York football did get a win last week. The Giants blew out the Panthers. And man, Sam Darnold, anyone who was like, yeah, see, first three weeks in in, in Carolina, see, this is the real Sam Darnold. I'm talking to you, Colin Cowherd. I know you listen to the show. Look, Sam Darnold is what he is. He's the same guy he was at USC, and I've been saying this since he got drafted into the league. He can make every throw and every play on the field, but he turns it over way too often. He's way too careless with the ball. Sam Darnold's going to play in this league for another 10 years. Most of it's going to be as a clipboard carrier. By the way, next year, mark my words, Sam Darnold will be the backup quarterback in Buffalo. He and Josh are great friends. Trubisky's on a one-year deal. Trubisky will go somewhere else, get, give it, get a chance to play somewhere. Sam Darnold goes to Buffalo next year. He's in Carolina now. Of course he's going to be in Buffalo. That's where it's, it's like the Bills farm team. It, it's, it's something that's going to happen. But it is the same old Sam Darnold. The shocking game of the week, and it wasn't shocking because the Titans beat the Chiefs. It was shocking because the Titans beat the crap out of the Chiefs. Look, the Titans' offense, something changed Monday night against the Bills. And what changed was Ryan Tannehill, for the first time all year, found A.J. Brown, and they got things going. Second half of that game, I think A.J. Brown had seven catches in the second half of the Bills game. Fast forward to Sunday when they played the tight, they played the Chiefs. AJ Brown was a monster, had a huge game. But the story isn't about the Titans. And for once, it's not about Derrick Henry. Well, he was great through a touchdown pass and everything. But it's about the Chiefs and, and what's going on offensively. Now, look, defensively, I get it that they're not good. 
Chris Jones hasn't been there. Tyron Matthew hasn't been the same guy since the injury early in the year. The guy we're looking at, Patrick Mahomes, has not played good football. He's been careless with the ball. He's taken a lot of hits. Their offensive line, which we saw in the Super Bowl, was exploited, and it's continued to be exploited going forward. It has not been good for Kansas City. And, you know, you wonder, Eric Bieniemy. a lot of people were upset. He hasn't gotten a head coaching job yet. If this season continues to go the way it is or spirals from this point, is Eric Bieniemy's shot to be an NFL head coach come and gone? Very real possibility. I have faith in Andy Reid, and I think that he will figure things out. Patrick Mahomes is still the best quarterback in the NFL. He's just going through one of those stretches. Did get dinged on Sunday, cleared concussion protocol. It's going to be interesting. They play the Giants this week on Monday Night Football. They got to put up a win. They got to put up a big win on Monday Night Football, get things rolling. It, it is the perfect opponent for them to play, in my opinion, but they got to get it done. We'll see what happens Monday night. The Raiders are really good. Look, they don't have a coach anymore. Well, they do, but they don't have their coach, John Gruden. He's been jettisoned to the netherworld. But the Raiders and Derek Carr are playing great football. Carr missed only three throws on Sunday. One of them was a pick over 300 yards. For the season, the Raiders, who are now 5-2, and two, Carr's completing almost 68% of his passes, and he's averaging like 320 yards per game through the air. Josh Jacobs hasn't been healthy, but Henry Ruggs has been really good. He's turning into a, into a weapon similar to Tyreek Hill with his speed. That's who he was drafted to be, frankly. He was drafted to be Tyreek Hill. And in year two, he's made a big jump. And Derek Carr is playing great football. Raiders are going to be good for the next couple of years. And, and what's fun is now that they're in Vegas, I don't, I, I don't like that they're not in Oakland. But man, playoff football in Vegas is going to be something to see. This is really going to be fun for the league. And I always thought the league is better when the Raiders are good. They are good. They're a playoff team. The Rams beat the Lions. And while that's one of those, yeah, so, you got to point out, Dan Campbell, who made a lot of noise early in the season with some of the comments that he made, Dan Campbell has these guys playing hard. And he's putting them in position to win. They had an onside kick, two fake punts. They're trying hard. I think Dan Campbell's the right guy in Detroit. I really do. They're not winning, but they don't have talent. But they're not an easy out. They're going to win some games. They're going to beat somebody they shouldn't before this year is over. I just hope that the new regime above Dan Campbell is able to get him the players he needs. Because, again, they're a team with multiple draft picks coming up. Can they choose the right players, and continue to build this team and give Dan Campbell players to win. I really have been impressed with how Detroit's playing. Arizona's still the only undefeated team. Excuse me. They beat Houston 31-5. to Houston is a dumpster fire. It was interesting having J.J. Watt and DeAndre Hopkins 
crushing the team that they used to play for. But man, what does what is Houston doing? What what is the plan in Houston? Been a lot of discussions as we approach the trade deadline about Deshaun Watson. Look, Watson isn't suspended yet. Word is that the NFL is not going to act on Deshaun Watson until their hand is forced. If you want to do something to help your trade situation, Houston, because teams are looking at it going, look, we might be able to deal with the PR nightmare that is Deshaun Deshaun Watson, but we don't know what the suspension's looking like. So is it the rest of this year? Is it this year or next year? We can't give up multiple assets to get something with that much uncertainty. Here's an idea. If you're Houston, make an announcement today or tomorrow. Our starting quarterback for this week's game is going to be Deshaun Watson. That way the NFL now has to make a decision. Are we going to let Deshaun Watson start? Are we going to let him play, or are we going to suspend him? And, and meanwhile, everyone's going to say, well, you can't play him if you're going to trade him. Who cares? If he gets hurt, what have you lost? The ability to trade him? Right now, you don't have that ability because of the question of the suspension and the length of the suspension. Now, there's been more discussion that Miami is a team that might make sense. Tua's had decent games the last couple weeks. I don't know if Tua's going to be the guy. I'm not giving up on him to get a guy that I don't know if he'll play again anytime soon. I'm not going to make that move if I'm Miami. I also would make that move if I'm Carolina. Because you look at this year for Carolina, I don't think they're going to get anywhere. I don't think they're a playoff team. And Sam Darnold, you, you let him... Play it out, and who knows? Maybe you find something there. I doubt it. I think next year he goes away. But you improve your draft position, and you go into the draft next year with Deshaun Watson as your quarterback. Carolina is the place that he fits. Or one other spot, Philadelphia. Philadelphia has multiple first-round picks next year. Multiple. Trade one of those. Bring him in. And again, if he misses this year, so what? You still got Jalen Hurts out there, and you see what maybe you find something there. I doubt it. I haven't seen it yet. But you got to do something with Deshaun Watson. And the best thing for Houston to do would be to force the NFL's hand and make an announcement tomorrow and say, our starting quarterback for this week is going to be Deshaun Watson. And let him practice and let him get ready to play. And, And watch the NFL scramble to throw an eight week suspension on him or the rest of this year he's suspended, that any team trading for him knows the parameters of the suspension. You can start next year clean and go forward. Because the league, in my opinion, is screwing the hell out of Houston by not announcing what they'll do. They're just putting Houston in a position where they can't deal the guy. So Houston should force the league to do so. Tampa beat the Bears 38-3. to The Bears are just the most boring team to watch in the NFL. Justin Fields turned it over five times. The story here was Brady with 600 touchdown passes. Not in the game. That'd be even more of a record. But 600 touchdown passes, you think about that. Josh Allen's going to likely get to 100 this year. In his fourth year, right? 
To get to 600, six times four is 24 years. He would have to play 24 years to get to 600. And Josh Allen's had some pretty good success. It's crazy what Brady has done. The Super Bowl, when Tom Brady's all said and done, the amount of records that he's going to have that will never be broken, it's just going to be ridiculous. And while I don't like talking great things about Brady because I'm not particularly a fan, the fact that he did what he did with the kid who held up the sign and you're seeing it now. Tom Brady helped me beat brain cancer. Tom Brady seems to be a pretty good human being. We don't know these guys. We don't know anything about him. But for him to go over and, and, and give the kid a hat and shake the kid's hand meant a ton to that kid. It may not have meant much to Tom Brady. But, man, it meant so much to that kid who's been through so much. It was a great moment. It really was. And Brady, to his credit, spoke of it post-game and talked about how it's, you know, what we do doesn't mean a whole lot. And it just puts it in perspective. And there you see Brady with the kid. Good job by Tom Brady. And I love to, if you're looking at the picture, notice this. Tom Brady with his hat on backwards. If you watch or listen to Colin Cowherd, no great leader who's a quarterback can be successful if he wears his hat backwards. So remember that. Tom Brady is not a great leader, can't be a great successful quarterback because he too wears his hat backwards. No, seriously, Coward said that, that you can't wear your hat backwards. Yet Brady did it there, did it in the other picture. No, by the way, if you watched the Manning cast last night on Monday Night Football, you would have seen it there as well. Uh, Sunday Night Football was fun. Pouring rain in San Francisco. I'm sorry, Santa Clara. And, you know, it's one of those things that I think, unless you live there, you don't realize. The stadium that the 49ers play in, Levi Stadium, is 44 miles from San Francisco. Many people have thought that you should put the Bills in Batavia, and it would be too far away, but it's right in between Rochester and Buffalo. It's exactly what... They did in Santa Clara. They moved the stadium that far out. If you're from San Francisco, it's got to be a two-hour ride to go to the game. It's literally almost like with the traffic that they have out there, like us going to a Bills game. It's really crazy that nobody talks more about that. But the thing I wanted to talk about with the 49ers is not the bad stadium location. I'm alluding to something I'm getting to later. It's Kyle Shanahan. The Niners now are two and four. And Jimmy Garoppolo played Sunday and Trey Lance will be back. So your quarterbacks are back. Kyle Shanahan, who everyone talks about what a genius this guy is, great coach, can't get enough of Kyle Shanahan. Everyone loves him in the media. Kyle Shanahan's career record is 31 and 39. He's had one winning season. Now, that season was a 13-3 and season where he went to the Super Bowl. You take that season out, 2019, Kyle Shanahan's career record is 18-36. and This guy has gotten a bigger pass than any coach I remember by the media. I don't know where this season ends up. And I do think, as an offensive mind, he's pretty good. Although, if he ran the ball literally one more time, Atlanta has a Super Bowl and Tom Brady has one less. But 
you know, why, why look in the past? I think he's a very good offensive mind. I think he's the most overrated coach in NFL history. And I know he's not on the hot seat. They just locked him up to a big deal, he and John Lynch. But this 49er team, again, they're looking like a sub-500 team for this year. And a division with Arizona being undefeated and the Rams being great, it's not going to get any easier for them. Kyle Shanahan should be on the hot seat. I don't know if he will be, but he should be somebody the teams are talking about or the 49ers are talking about moving on from. Last night's game, uh, how do you you sell Jameis Winston against Geno Smith in primetime? It's just not something you can look at and go, yeah, that's a matchup I can't wait to see. Uh, It wasn't a very good game, and it wasn't a very watchable game, but it is what it is. The thing with Seattle, you're seeing now Russell Wilson, even though he's making a ton of money, is extremely underpaid. Because you take Russell Wilson off that team, they're a bad football team. Drew Brees may have been underpaid as well. Because the Saints' defense has been fantastic this year. And yet, with Jameis, they're not quite there. This Thursday night, we're we're finally getting a really good Thursday night football game. It seems every week we get Jacksonville and Tennessee on Thursday night football. This Thursday is going to be great. Arizona and Green Bay. Devontae Adams will miss the game because he's on the COVID list. But man... 7-0 and against Aaron Rodgers and the Packers should be really, really fun to watch. Looking forward to that one. Tonight, the World Series begins. And, you know, this is one of those World Series that teams are like, who do people are like, who do I root for? You know, the Red Sox get beat by Houston. So now you got the cheating Astros going against the Braves. And in this area, if you're a Met fan, you certainly don't like the Braves. If you're a Yankee fan, you're not a big fan of the Braves going back to the 90s when th- th- those two teams met up in the World Series. But I think it's an interesting matchup for a couple reasons. One, yeah, you could, you could trash talk the Astros all you want. You could look at what they've done and how they cheated and all that and say, you know what, screw them, I, I, I don't care. Jose Altuve is probably a Hall of Famer. Carlos Correa, who's going to be a Yankee, in my opinion, after this year, is somebody that everyone should want on their team. He's a great player. Bregman is a great player. The Astros have done so well developing talent as well. You talk about those three and how great they've been, but Jordan Alvarez is only 24 years old. Yet this year, 33 home runs, had an 877 OPS. They bring him through. Great young hitter. Kyle Tucker, he's one of their right, he's their right fielder. 24 years old, 30 home runs, 917 OPS this year. What Houston has done is, other than cheat, is develop talent to continue, continually refresh their big league club. And they've done so at a high level. They've done what the Dodgers have done. And and they've done it just as well. And you can make the argument, maybe even better. All these teams that their farm system hasn't developed the talent, and you look at the Dodgers spending money, and you look at the Astros cheating, you're missing the point. 
what those two teams have done better than anybody is develop young talent. And I think it's fantastic. The Braves, they've also developed a lot of young talent. They haven't done it to the high level yet, yet, that the Dodgers and the Astros have. But you look at Ozzie Albies, Dansby Swanson up the middle. Those two are studs. And defensively, they're fantastic. Think about this. Austin Riley is an MVP candidate this year. Freddie Freeman getting there is great. And Freddie Freeman, I hope the Braves re-sign him because he belongs there and, and they need him there. But the Braves have done this in the second half of this year without their best player. And best player by far. It's not like, well, yeah, Austin Riley or Ronald Acuna Jr. No. It's Ronald Acuna Jr. is the Braves' best player by a lot. This kid was off to an unbelievable start. Played essentially half a season. 24 home runs. He had a 990 OPS. Had 17 bags. It was going to be a 30-30 season. Likely a 40-35 season. Okuna is great. But he was out. And, And the trades they made at the deadline... They've done a great job bringing in veteran talent to surround some of that young talent. Here's the other thing that they've done. The young pitching, Max Freed, Ian Anderson. And Ian Anderson, interesting kid because he's from Shenandoah High School near Albany. I think that's the right way to say it. Shenandoah, one of those two. I'm, I'm not good with that name. Anyway. He grew up playing Little League Baseball with Kevin Herter of the Atlanta Hawks. These two young guys have have achieved a ton. And Ian Anderson was a first-round pick as a pitcher from the Northeast. It doesn't happen because in the Northeast, you might play 10 high school baseball games. You know, down south, if you're a pitcher, I'm saying, you might pitch 10 games. Down south, they play like 70-game schedules. So it's a totally different thing, and you get a very limited look. But this kid's been really good for the Braves early on. They also got a veteran in Charlie Morton I think goes a long way. My pick, Braves in six. I really think the Braves are going to get it done. I think it's a special year in Atlanta. I don't love either team's bullpens. Presley's really good at the back end of Houston if they can get to him, but I'm not sure they will. Uh, that's where I think the Braves have an opportunity. It's just going to be a fun series. If you watch, and I know many of you won't because you don't care, Braves and six is my pick. Hockey. How about the Buffalo Sabres? They are now 4-1-1 one, and one through their first six games of the season. And the schedule, yeah, it's been easy except for last night. They beat the Lightning 5-1. to one. They kicked the crap out of the Lightning. Now, 7,400 people, well, announced crowd of 7,400 people were at the game. Nobody's going, and I don't blame anybody for not spending a couple hundred dollars on a ticket to see a horribly run franchise. But give Granado and the boys credit. This young team is playing hard. They're, they're skating fast. They're confident. It's fun to watch, and I'm glad for the players, and I'm glad for the organization that they're doing what they're doing. Again, they're maybe a playoff team, and I don't expect this to continue. And I don't think the crowds are going to come back unless this does continue. But, man, it's good to see them winning instead of the same old Sabres. 
they made it more interesting. And, you know, with Jack Eichel still as a trade ship, who knows how this turns out. Maybe they go get an impactful player for Jack Eichel and end up being a better team than they are now and continue to grow this team. This isn't a tank year. It was never designed to be a tank year. It was just to clean out the old crap and put new stuff in the new furniture in the house year. And the new furniture working really well so far. College basketball, one last thing today, and that's college hoops. SU had their orange and white scrimmage the other night. And, you know, it was, it was interesting this year because you look at this team and Buddy Beheim's getting a lot of the press. Buddy, preseason All-American watch list. He was an honorable mention preseason All-American. He was first team All-ACC preseason player. Buddy's going to have a really good year. But if you look at the Syracuse team, it's going to be an interesting team from the fact that they're going to have a lot of guys who can shoot it. Buddy's a great shooter. According to Jim Beheim, and you, know, you got to say Jim, not Beheim, because now there's three of them. According to Jim Beheim, Joe Girard III is the most improved player on the team. I would assume that means his shot has improved because Joe Girard last year lost his shot. The COVID thing really zapped his legs, in my opinion, and hurt him, and he got into bad habits with his shot. But if his shot comes back, having Buddy and JG3 being able to both knock it down, that's a really good thing. Here's the other thing. Jimmy Beheim is there. Jimmy can stroke it as well. So now your potential three-man can stroke it. You've got Cole Swider coming in from Villanova. Another big guard. He's a two or a three, depending where you need him, but he's 6'8". He can really stroke it. Benny Williams is maybe the most talented player on this team. He's a freshman. He will have moments of freshman basketball that we've seen in the past. Bam will take him out, scream at him, give him a lot of grief. He can shoot it as well. So Syracuse is going to live and die by the three yet again. But inside, you've still got Brahma Sidibe, who nobody's going to be excited about that statement. But Jesse Edwards progressed big time last year. So now you've got a two-headed monster in the middle. Frank Anselm, who is a more physical big man, is behind them. So if Sidibe's knee isn't ready to go, then you've got Anselm and John Bolajak still. I don't know how good this team's going to be, but there's depth if Beheim Jim, that is, decides to use it. It's going to be an interesting year. They play tomorrow night against Pace University, their first true scrimmage of the year. So looking forward to some orange basketball and Looking forward to seeing 25,000 people in the Dome getting excited because guys are knocking down threes. And if this team's going to be good, it's going to be because guys are knocking down threes. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a great week. We'll talk next week. This is the Falcon Round Podcast. I'm Carl Falk. Thanks for listening.